Welcome back, everyone, to the Snapshot episode 54. And here we are with our guest, Alexander Kocha. Once again, it's great to see you, Alex. And my first question for you, for you is, have you been sleeping anymore? Oh, no, actually, I've, I've not been sleeping. It's something that like I legitimately have to figure out, though. It's, uh, it's funny you say that. Going into the new year, one of the resolutions, my wife and I sat down and she's like, okay, hey, listen, you got to figure out like what you're doing. Cause like you, I, okay. So during twist drops and stuff, I will go like three or four days without actually sleeping properly, which is like, what by not properly, I mean, like I will go all day, all night streaming, drive directly to work, work, stream again. As soon as I get home from work, go all night, drive back to work, and then finally take a nap when I get home, when the kids are home and my wife's cooking dinner. So it's like one of those situations where I'll go like two full days without sleeping. And she's like, you can't do that anymore. I can't do it anymore. So I'm trying to figure out new ways. That's the goal for 2024 to kind of set that straight, to be honest with you. Uh, what is your stimulant of choice? Yeah. Because <laughs> like, I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> Are you are you just raw dogging this? Do you just like uh, drink a ton of coffee? What's what's I going on? Do not drink coffee. I never have in my entire life. I only drink okay. water, excessive amounts of water. Okay. Uh, I do try to take like uh, like there's like ad breaks and stuff. And I literally I just like splash water on my like cold water on my face, wake myself up, get hyped, and just sit back down. And That's... like I'm surprised at how effective that actually is. Cold water, it's a absolute wonderful drug. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the actual drug here is discipline. And that's actually the impressive part of this, right? Because it's not like you would do this if you weren't disciplined and if you didn't love it, right? Like, it's very clear that you do. And, you know, it's good, I suppose, that your wife sat you down and said, hey, you can't stay up for two days in a row anymore. That's probably, that's probably you know, a correct assessment as, as unfortunate as it may be. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And uh, she actually had another conversation with me as well. She's like, Alex, you can't listen to Snapshot anymore. <laughs> Damn, I was so heartbroken. I'm like, why? That's probably some of the she's best like, advice it's just, you've gotten. <laughs> yeah, that's she's good like, advice, it's not too. Good yeah, she's health. really on point. But let me explain, though, because so I have this little game I play with when I play, when I listen to the snapshot. So basically, the way it works is I put the snapshot on, and I take a shot every single time Brandon brings up uh, flesh and blood. Oh, my and God. And that would already kill a normal man. Right. But I also take an additional shot every single time Cam goes, like, and laughs. And because of that, it's true. Within the first 20 minutes of the podcast, I'm in the yard getting my stomach pumped. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm actually more impressed with your, your stamina now, right? Because apparently you're just drunk every Monday and you still manage to do this stay up multiple days in a row thing. <laughs> so I uh, just to talk about the sleeping thing, there's like this, this is, uh, there's like some genetic thing that you can have where you actually will need to sleep less than a normal human being. Um, and most people are. Most people believe they have it, but the actual percentage of the population that has this gene yeah. is like extremely small. Um, I do wonder if you're one of those people because the yeah. the hours you're talking are borderline psychotic and basically inhuman. Like, I can't yep. believe you're doing 48 hour streams. in the Because when we talked to you last time, you're like, mm. yeah, because I mean, it's interesting to get behind the get sort of try to peel back the veil on the daily videos, guys. But your daily video streaming plus podcast plus whatever else you're doing. Oh, you're yeah, you're also working full time, have kids. And it's just like, oh, I sleep like three hours a night. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but that's wild. I wonder if you're one of those one of the superhumans. Anyway, welcome to the podcast, Alice. Welcome back. Uh, like I said, last time we had you on the podcast was about six months ago. So we're going to be circling back to some of the questions that we were asking you uh, back in that podcast. We we 
talked about card acquisition, the future of Marvel Snap, the health of the game, etc. And we're going to touch base back with that, um, as well as look forward to what your 2024 might look like. Um, but anyway, let's start off with the news. So have a new season and Scar was released, which is a 611, says cost two less for each of your cards that has 10 or more power. And then we also had Sierra, which is a 3-4 and says ongoing, your one and six cost cards can't be destroyed. You and Cam- Sierra? Oh my goodness, here we go. <laughs> here we go. Tell me how to say it. It's Kyera. Sierra. Sierra famously uh, made the album Goodies mm. and dated Future and then Russell Wilson- Kyra, as far as I know, no artistic output, but did marry the Hulk. So, you know. Yeah. So you boys were having this conversation actually before the podcast started. But talk to me a little bit about where these cards landed in the metagame. Alex, this one's you. You're you're the she not truther. Kyra <laughs> definitely has ended up in there. I want to hear what you think about your deck becoming a deck people rightly or wrongly are complaining about now. So right off the top, this whole spotlight week is just perfect for Sheena yes. players, right? You're getting Nebula, you're getting high evolutionary. And of course you're getting Kyra, which has been a great addition to that archetype. Honestly though, like I don't think Kyra like elevates that archetype to a whole new level. It just gives you the security blanket that makes it feel a little better to play. And that, as a result, allows you to run three one-drops. So now you have Nebula, which ironically was being cut from the original Shinot list. Obviously, you have Sunspot. And Misty Knight, which honestly is a silent performer in those decks. A lot of people don't respect Misty Knight, but if you actually take a look at like any uh, statistics uh, aggregator like Untapped, and you actually compare the Misty Knight versions of the High Evolutionary decks to the non-Misty Knight version, you'll notice there's percentage points difference in win rate and cube rate. So... Low-key, these cards actually legitimately have an impact on the win rate, so Kyra just allows you to play them with additional confidence. That's not to say that like there aren't other key elements of what makes she not so good in the meta right now. Like I'd hate to say it, but Leech is back in a big way, and I think that's contributing positively. But ultimately, yeah, she not's back. I think it's really strong, and uh, I've been a believer for a long time, and uh, it's, it's nice to see other players kind of uh, realizing just how good it is. One of the things I'm thinking about, because like for me, Sheenot has been like a deck I put on my tier list every week, but it's never been a deck where I'm like, this is the best deck in the game or even anything close to that. But one of the things that I think this highlights for me is just how much card availability affects uh, perception among the wider player base, right? Like this deck has not changed. Leech especially has not changed. Leech has been good. I've been talking about like the Darkhawk Leech stuff. I've seen people playing Leech in Black Knight, people playing Leech in Thanos. And then Leech, of course, has been a key part of Sheenot for several months now. But the fact that Haivo's in a cache, that Kyra's in the cache, that Nebula's in the cache, more people are playing it now. And then more people are experiencing, oh man, I really don't like this. Like I saw memes that were like, referring to high evo as op and i think that is just you know a completely ridiculous sentiment there are like four decks probably at minimum that i would say are better than she not just without even having to think about it and i think that she not is like it, it it's actually one of those situations where i just feel so confused by the reaction to it that i can only assume what's happening is 
card accessibility is driving a high play rate and lack of familiarity with how the deck plays is driving like players at lower ranks to be confused because they haven't run up against this before. And now suddenly the entire deck is available. Even if you're like halfway through pool three, you only have Nebula, Kyra, and High Evolutionary as required cards. They're all available. So like some guy at, you know, a thousand collection level could conceivably be playing this against you. And that's probably where a lot of this comes from. But I will say, I think they should do more caches like this. Just like take a tier two deck and slap it into the caches. And I, I actually am really happy with this cache specifically because of that kind of design. I think it's awesome. I couldn't agree more. It's exactly correct. Uh, you basically get all the pieces you need to really build this deck. And the nice thing about High Evo is whether or not you're a collection 500 player or whatever, like you have almost all the pieces already yes. because it's such an inexpensive deck, right? There's few decks like that. Like Shuri's a good example of that as well. Uh, but what I also think really pinned down High Evolutionary as an archetype for the last two months has been Loki because with the uh, introdu uh, introduction of Loki, you had um, the snow guard being a key component of those decks, mm -hmm. which allows the Hawk to just disable limbo and really kind of uh, kneecaps the, uh, the she not decks. But what I will say, if you're out there and you're like, how do I beat these damn decks as someone who has played way too much? She not, it is so easy to beat a she not player. <laughs> Legion. Yeah. You just yeah. play Legion. Like I know people think like, okay, the Thanos, if I'm playing against the Thanos player, I already know what's up. If I'm playing against a Loki player, I already know what's up, but it's the Legion that can be splashed into so many different decks that nobody's going to expect. You can play Legion on turn six while they're skipping and you just laugh, laugh, laugh. And the nice thing about it is they think they're going into a, a two cube turn suddenly turns into a four cube turn and you're just ripping them out of their hands. Legion's the key in my opinion. I mean, that's where Leech is so important, right? Because it's like, if if they are willing to play leech on five, you have to understand that like you can still leech them. You can still legion them on five. You can snow guard hawk them on Absolutely. five because you do have to be afraid of the leech. And the thing about leech is if it's not hitting the relevant stuff, that is a five three. And this deck only has the ability after they play a leech on five to play like a Hulk on six. That's the only thing it can actually do. So if you're afraid of the leech, you can actually just play all that stuff on turn five and you will be 100% fine. Uh, Snow Guard Disable works on five. Legion obviously works on five. And I think a lot of people just aren't willing to do that and they end up getting hosed by Leech and then they're like, oh my God, that's so unfair. And it's like, no, if you're going to lose and they Leech, if they Leech your, your counterplay, you should probably just play it on turn five. And if they retreat, oh well, you don't need to go for the super big blowout. And... Mm -hmm. That's actually a dynamic that Sheenot itself has, where it's like your turn six, if you haven't played Leech and you have a magic on the board, is this very fraught turn where you need to figure out if you even think you have the ability to full soak and like how risky it is for you to get blown out by one of these cards. And I do think that if Leech didn't exist, I would say the deck would be like actually unplayable. But since Leech does exist, it gets this uh, legitimate turn six skip a lot of the time where the location control tools are so strong right now that it probably wouldn't uh, going forward if it didn't have leech. Awesome. Well, we also had the January 9th patch notes leaked, which is coming out the day after this podcast releases. And it is 
It's pretty big, to be honest. Um, I'll just go, I'm just going to dig right into it. We'll stop after each one. The first one here is going to be Loki, which is staying, oh, well, it was a four or five, and it said on reveal, place your hand with cards from your opponent's starting deck, give them minus one cost. It is now going to be a four six. It says on reveal, transform your hand into cards from your opponent's starting deck, give them minus one cost. This might sound very similar, but what it does effectively is turn off Collector, from what I understand. My question is, does it also turn off Quinjet? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of debate with that, and I lean yeah. towards probably not, right? Because there's still not cards to start in your deck. I think it does, because, like, uh, Spider-Ham is not the card starting your deck. That's the other transform True. effect we have, and it doesn't get discounted. So I, I would think that it does turn off Quinjet, and I think that's actually, like, going to be the big determinant of how this, this plays out, because if it doesn't work with Collector or Quinjet, well, it's still just, like, a really good card. You just play a 4-6 that's Iron Lad stats with a great effect. It's like Power Crept White Queen. It's just really, really good. It's like a mid-range Mirror Buster rather than a deck you build around entirely. But it's like you probably play this in Zabu and you have like a Snow Guard in there, maybe a Colson or whatever. And the rest of what you're doing is like your normal Zabu stuff. And you just like sometimes absolutely ruin their lives with a Loki, like things like that. It's definitely worse without the collector interaction, though, like mm -hmm. significantly, significantly, significantly worse. It becomes a deck that is probably not something you build around and probably has to be merged with another archetype to succeed, which it already sort of is. But Loki is very much like a plan 1A or 1B. And it will become like an actual plan B mm. in 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 this form, I think. I also will say uh, I believe we're allowed to disclose that, like, we were told as creators that these nerfs weren't necessarily final. Uh, and that future changes could be happening to them. So do keep that in mind if these leaks end up not being 100% accurate. However, they were posted on the official Marvel Snap website, and it is possible that my read on the situation is that I would expect all the text changes to go through, but it's possible some numerical changes will not, because I know numerical changes based on the way the OTAs work are easier for them to implement over short time periods. So it, like, if they like, so let's say they wrote these before they went on vacation, right? They locked these in like a month ago and they're like, all right, well, we can fiddle with the numbers and then it won't be exactly the same or we can fiddle with the numbers because that would be a smart thing to do. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if some of that changed. However, they've also demonstrated a capability to change actual text over OTA. So we actually have no idea. <laughs> like, it, it strikes me as more likely that it will just be the same text and some number differences or just the exact same changes as noted in here. But it's possible that that is not true, basically. Mm. That's something it. I like to ask uh, both you guys actually is uh, this has been something I've been wrestling with. Mm. Do you actually think that this nerf was required? Because when you look at the statistics of Loki on aggregate, um, He's not actually that high performing. Now I know Cam in yeah. your circles at the very high end. I know that still Loki the best deck is, in the game. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, there's that. But are you talking about like you know, 500 players who can you know yep. pilot that deck to that level versus the million players that you know yep. <laughs> just have a 52 percent win rate? You know what I mean? Like, wh what yeah. is the balance there? Do you think this card kind of took a stray? I don't think it took a stray. Uh, I think that. It is, uh, I would have rather see them do pretty much anything else with it, though, because to me, this strikes me as fairly inelegant design. 
where it's like, all right, well, you all play this card with Quinjet and Collector. So what if it just didn't work with Quinjet and Collector? And it's like, I mean, like that'll work. But like, it's kind of, it's kind of like, like if someone posted that a design in my discord, I would be tempted to call it inelegant, I think would be would be how I would phrase that. It's like I feel like it's it's a way for them to do something about it that makes it no longer an archetype unto itself without totally killing the card. So in that sense, it is very smart. Mm-hmm. But I guess I just kind of wish they like made him into a totally different card. <laughs> like, I guess I guess I just kind of wish they were like, what if we like did something else with this guy? And I don't necessarily think he caught a stray uh, because honestly, I think he might actually get stronger statistically because, again, like the, the current version of Loki is best utilized at the top end of infinite. Uh, one that has more just normal power on the card and just goes into mid range shells is probably better for like a lowered level player to play, actually. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's a fair nerf. I think he definitely deserved one. I would not call it a stray. He is, uh, still the best deck in the game, probably at high infinite. Every time I play him, I'm like, oh, wow, I have a 65% win rate. It's like, all right, they should probably do something about that. And the fact that he has a lower win rate at other ranks is actually really interesting because when you look at Infinity Conquest, his rank, his, his win rate is still extremely high. Like he's still like one of the highest win rate decks in Infinity Conquest. And I'm, I'm not sure why that is. And part of me thinks the thing that makes Loki players good at the top end is archetype recognition and understanding when you have to be a Loki deck and what your game plans are in each matchup. And the reason Loki is better in Conquest than he is on ladder for lower ranked players is because in Conquest, that work happens for you. You start actually knowing the cards in your opponent's deck, and you can formulate your game plan around that. Whereas at the very top of ladder, you know that just by seeing them play one card. And that is why Loki is so much better at the top end of ladder and in Conquest than he is for a normal person, because he requires you to... I don't know why I said normal person. I'm a very normal guy. But like... He requires you to have this uh, like database of what the possibilities are in your brain. And in Conquest, that gets shortcutted for you because, you know, you have like a deck tracker or whatever. And you can just look at it and be like, oh, those are the cards I'm going to get. Now I know what I need to do. And at the high end of ladder, everyone knows just by playing one card, what opponent, what archetype your opponent is playing. You just know and you can get it within probably 10 cards just by seeing one card with maybe two surprises. And you know how your uh, Loki deck matches up into that. You've already thought about that. You've played the deck for the last three months, right? And I think that's basically when people talk about skill, it's less skill and more just archetype recognition, I think. Which is a reflection of skill, I think. Um, Yeah, in regards, I think KMI came and I had the conversation for a long time because this card has been so good for so long. But I'm not sure if KM still believes this, but I think I do. And that's that. The win rate at the top and the play patterns of the decks generally over time, and it is a function of time, will percolate downwards into the rest of the metagame. That may have not been true with Loki because the card has been around for a long time and has been at the top of the metagame for a long time, and the win rates have not reflected that. But that being said, that like upon if you looked at time as 
the variable and you stretch it infinitely, ultimately the rest of the metagame would reflect what we consider to be the top end eventually. And the, the top end of the metagame is a better reflection of the power level of a card in an archetype than maybe the aggregate stats. So in regards to catching a stray, I don't think so. What I will say is that I was, I was probably, I was expecting a card rework to be honest, because this card was so yeah. damn resilient. Like it was like, well, what are they going to do? Are they just going to give it some sort of meme uh, numerical stats to where it's just a complete joke? I mean, what, what else can they do to this? And I mean, like KM said, they, they went through a bit of a loophole here and it feels slightly inelegant. I think that yeah. the way it looks and the way it reads it, it it's not blatantly uh, like inelegant it, it's fine to be honest it's a text change and it, it accomplishes the goal they want it to um but yeah i was wondering like if loki was just going to get a complete rework because it was it was it just warped the entire game around it like loki was this sort of just categorical imperative that your your opponent's deck would have to just be kind of bad or there's cam with the look He's like, I was a philosophy minor. You're dropping Kantian terms on me. <laughs> I always get, I always like, get the. I'm like, oh shit! As soon as I see that, I'm like, here we go. Cam's got me in the, got me in. Some no, I mean, sort. I don't even, I don't even know. It's just like the, the categorical imperative is like a truth, right? Ah, uh, <laughs> okay, like no, but sure, right? Like, uh, uh the categorical imperative is basically like. Your actions must be in accordance with what you believe. Like, if you do a thing, you have to consider what would happen if that thing were a universal law. And only that can allow you to determine the morality of your actions. And uh, so, like, I, I think that's like a relatively OK way to phrase it. But you're like referring to the philosophical term rather than just like the universal law, mm -hmm. which is it's, it's like it's like, I don't know. I was a philosophy minor like 10 years ago. Don't don't get on my don't get on me about this. Anyone who actually knows about yeah. this. Anyway, um, with the rework, it, it is surprising, but I do. Th I'm I'm satisfied with it, to be honest. Uh, like, I'm interested to see how how it will play out with the collect, you know, the collector not being a large piece of that deck. And like him said, it might just be better overall, um, you know, maybe being played as a the, the sort of B plan here and in the Zabu shell. Um, but it's cool to see. I, I, I'm happy that maybe Loki won't be an archetype-defining card. It won't be the best deck in the game for potentially once, as Cam slaps his mic in fervor over there. What are your thoughts? Yep, that's uh, what it was. That was fervor. I definitely didn't just slip. That's yep. Alex, what do you think about this card? Have you gotten a bit tired of it over the past few months? No, actually. Like I understand that it's a bit of a feel-bad card. Like you, you get your own deck played against you at more efficient rates, and you're mm -hmm. like, damn. And of course, you know, you don't draw your card, but they've drawn all theirs and they're able to finish you off type thing. And uh I, the one thing I liked about Loki is that it punished Elioth players a little bit because like they would have ha, I got your Elioth for cheaper, boom, and that would be one thing. But um ultimately, no, and I was actually kind of like disappointed that they attacked collector because i used to see collectors an attack vector when i when a loki player had a big collector they would sit there like yeah i got the location but i was taking shadow king to everything and <laughs> yeah. so like i felt like oh yeah you're relying on that location okay boom it's down to two power and i just flipped it and i just flipped another location too and that's how i felt like i took the legs out from a loki player however they also had my shadow king because they took all my damn cards <laughs> and like, so like there was always like that other side of it too right so i don't know I do think it's a cool card. I don't like you, like Brandon, you had said like, oh, I'm kind of happy if it's not an archetype defining card, but I think it always probably will be. And 
I think it's also a really fun card for newer players, mm. players in low collection levels, because like if you don't have all the cards, but you got Loki, you can put that into a devil dinosaur shell with with uh, Coulson and Agent 13 and stuff and just steal all the meta cards if you have to. Right. So I think there yep. is some actual like benefit to having it as uh, at least a f- decent card in Marvel Snap. Mm. I-, I agree. I'm I'm definitely with you on that. And honestly, like, I don't know how much other than dropping collector and Quinjet, maybe like the thing that weirds me out is that like, okay, Loki still wants to go in the archetype that puts all the cards in your hand. That archetype still wants collector and Quinjet. Do we just, do we just not change anything? (laughs) Are we just, are we just playing the same deck? I I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to find out. Hmm. All right, Miss Marvel, 4-5, currently a 4-5, um, and it will be a 4-5 in the future. Uh, previously set ongoing adjacent locations where your cards have unique costs, have plus 5 power. It now says ongoing your adjacent locations with 2 plus cards and no repeated costs have plus 5 power. So adding that 2 cost limitation. This is a card we've talked about as well for a long time, a card that we thought was fundamentally above curve. What do you th- where do you think this card lands after the nerf? Okay, so I think this is a very cute and fun nerf. I think this is really clever. I don't know if it's enough, right? Like, this is a very clever nerf that influences not only your play patterns with Miss Marvel and what decks you can play Miss Marvel in, but also your snap patterns, because now a lot of your early game is going to determine whether or not she gives you all the stats that you expected. And a lot of the, like, I guess I'd say dumber Miss Marvel decks, where it's like, you would just like play a storm on one location and then go like Miss Marvel and Mystique in the middle. And it's like, OK, that's awesome. That that stuff probably doesn't exist much anymore. This hurts lockdown more than it hurts the other Miss Marvel decks. And I think generally what it does is push Miss Marvel decks towards a more aggressive snapping posture, which is there are going to be games where like they don't get a one drop and a two drop. And in those games, Miss Marvel starts to become like a serious. There's a serious question of is this card even good for you anymore? Mm-hmm. And I think the other thing it might do, hopefully, is generate a metagame where there's less. Because right now, I think there are probably three key cards in this metagame that are not like the major determinants of the metagame, just like tech cards you'll see everywhere. Uh, Enchantress, Rogue, and Mobius M. Mobius. And a lot of Miss Marvel gameplay involves positioning your cards in such a way to play around either Enchantress or Rogue. And that sort of pushing uh, gameplay style where like if it's rogue, you want to stack a bunch of stuff in the middle. If it's enchantress, you want to not do that. And that that kind of thing is only happening because Miss Marvel is so much better than everything else. Mm-hmm. So I am hopeful that a nerf will uh, make the metagame a little bit less inbred in that respect. I just remember watching like uh, Ben Brode's G- uh, GDC talk where he was talking about like having simplistic card text in Marvel Snap. And then I look at what they've changed here and then like the Grandmaster and stuff. And like even I'm getting confused <gasps> on first reads and stuff. So yeah, it's for like, sure. No, I did it's it. Like same. The complexity same. of the card is getting wild. But I wanted to throw this out to you guys. The thing that really struck me about this nerf, and I, I do agree, like it's a cute little nerf and it, it will have an impact for sure. Mm-hmm. But like, is that really the problem or was it like the 415? You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I just kind of had that thought. I'm like, is, is like not being able to play here as effectively the problem? Or is it like just the fact that it's 415 stats? Mm-hmm. 
It's a card. Yeah, it's a card. No, it's the it's the four fifteen. Yeah, but when you talk (laughs) when you talk about card balance and design, there's like there's a few cogs you can tweak, right? And one of them is cost, one of them is power. uh, There's a few others, but there's also conditions, and so this just adds more conditions to the cards, which is a very significant non-zero nerf. Um, You effectively you just have to jump through more hoops, and the flexibility of the card is significantly changed. Even if it so contextually, it might not change very much. So the card itself is nerfed. It is, but Actually, you could say, okay, every single deck I played Miss Marvel with, I always have two plus cards with no repeated costs and get the plus five power. And that might be true true in context, but ultimately the card's flexibility has gone down significantly and it is worse. Will it change its play rate, its, its sort of effect on the metagame and its overall power in the decks that's currently be re- being represented? Maybe not, but there will be more situations where you know this comes up and it, it just overall decreases the flexibility of the card which is which is pretty significant like you said lockdown as well like i think this lockdown getting hit by this is a pretty good thing to yeah. happen right i mean that was one of the more toxic decks and yeah this significantly changes that i think that the major thing that see here's the issue what i don't know is 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 this enough right I wouldn't be shocked if they had to go back and take another swipe at her. Mm-hmm. But at some point, what's going to happen with Miss Marvel is she's no longer going to be the best stat stick in the game, whether that comes by nerfs or by new cards, whatever it is. Right. And only the best stat stick in the game is the one that warps the meta. Right. We saw this with Werewolf by Night, where like Werewolf by Night is the best stat stick in the game and literally every deck runs Shadow King. Right. Like, um, Ms. Marvel is the best stat stick in the game and literally every deck runs rogue, right? Like that is that is like what's basically happening right now. And at some point, some other card will become the best stat stick in the game uh, and then we'll be able to like let the meta breathe a little bit. But right now, Miss Marvel is the best stat stick in the game. She is in Loki decks. She is in Black Knight decks. She is in Darkhawk decks. She is in pretty much any deck that can reasonably afford to run her. And she is the driving reason behind why these decks are good. I had an interview with Revis where he talked about the Sarah deck. And it's like, I asked him straight up, would this deck exist if it wasn't for Miss Marvel? And the answer is just no, it wouldn't have enough power. It would be just like every other Sarah deck where it's reliant on tech and, you know, it's kind of iffy. But with Miss Marvel, you have not just a 415, sometimes it's a 215, right? And like, that is why the deck is, there are a lot of decks right now that are just like, Oh, this deck is so good, but what's making it good? The engine of it is Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. And I think probably more than any other card, any other of the best stat sticks since Elsa, probably we have seen this because with Werewolf, you have to go through a lot of different hoops to make him work. It's a little bit harder to do with Miss Marvel. You just have to be a deck that curves out. And so she just goes in everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that's part of why I worry that this nerf is not enough, because she goes in absolutely everything. I kind of wonder if they might have to do a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. We could see uh, another swipe, and I think it would come in the form of a a power change, um, whether it's on the card or on the ability you get after with the plus five power. That being said, this is very congruent with the design philosophy of Mm. uh, Glenn Jones, who came on this podcast and talked about card design and Marvel Snap and cutting out the floors and leaving those ceilings um, available. And while this looks like you're like, well, the floor looks pretty similar, it's still plus five power. I mean, the floor has changed. No, it is. No, the floor is lower. The floor is significantly lower. Uh, I also think that, like, I I realized this today because I don't play the card Omega Red. Did you know Omega Red gives plus four 
That's ridiculous. That's criminal. There's no reason for either Omega Red to give plus four and this card to give plus five. They should at the very least be giving the same amount. Like, either bring Miss Marvel to four or bring Omega Red to five. Like, I, 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 I just assumed for the whole time that it was five on, on Omega Red. And it's absolutely ridiculous that it's not, mm. for the record. I feel like uh, in the past few months, we've had more cards. And maybe it's because my memory is foggy of like, uh, you know, six months ago, 12 months ago, Marvel Snap. I feel like we've had more cards that have just been fundamentally above rate, where it's just like, okay, this just. Now abs- your memory is foggy. Okay, what cards? Two cost hit monkey? What, what are we doing here? <laughs> that was like a 215. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, like it, it hasn't been more. I, I mean, like, God, when Iron Lad came out, oh my God. Like, the original Darkhawk decks, oh my God. I don't think it's more cards. I just think that, like, what they keep doing is they keep hitting these early game scalers. When you think about every early game scaler, they hit Angela, they hit Kitty Pride, they hit Elsa Bloodstone, they hit Werewolf by Night. And when you hit all the things that scale up early game, what becomes the best thing to do is just playing the biggest idiots possible. This Marvel is now the biggest idiot possible. And so there's no incentive to like invest in a non-Miss Marvel strategy, because if you invest in one of those scalers, it's just not going to be as big for the work you put in as just playing a Miss Marvel. Right. So it's not that she's like the only fundamentally above rate card. It's that they've nerfed all the other things that would have been better than her and were better than her. By the way, Werewolf was better than her just just like two weeks ago. And. Now, when you nerf all those scalers, you nerf all those incentives for the early game to be uh, an investment. What you have is a bunch of decks where the late game is full of giant morons. You have a blob. You have a Miss Marvel. You have like all of these things that just sort of do everything they can to invalidate the first few turns of the game because there's nothing worthwhile to do on the first few turns of the game anymore. There's no scaling threat for you to invest in and get stronger. It's just stats. That's why we talk about like Gladiator being good now. Why is Gladiator good now? Literally, he's just a 3-8. And if you invest in a bishop, it's probably going to be smaller than the Gladiator. So why would you bother? And that is uh, like we're, we're, we're in a dumb guy meta right now. And I, I don't have any complaints about it, but it's worth addressing, I think. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on to the next one, we have Annihilus 5-7. Uh, it previously said or currently says on reveal your cards with zero or less power switch size. Destroy those that can't. It's going to become a 5-5 and we'll say on reveal your cards with power uh, power below zero, so not including zero, that is. Uh, switch sides, destroy those that can't. So both a power nerf and zero-cost cards will no longer be switching sides. I hate this. <laughs> I hate this too. Why do you hate this, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> you first. <laughs> okay, I'll go first. I hate it because uh, like, I, I feel like Annihilus was good, but it wasn't uh, completely warping the meta. Maybe from a statistics standpoint, he was highly reliable, but I think you hit the Annihilus decks when you hit Werewolf by Night. Uh, Werewolf by Night's shell and those decks were absolutely incredible. And so I saw a decrease in the Annihilus play and the Annihilus win rate with the uh, reduction in Werewolf by Night's viability. So I thought that that was already uh, a knock against it. Uh, secondly, the text change doesn't really make sense to me. Like, I don't know if what you guys saw higher up in the MMR brackets, but uh, people weren't playing Debris 
with Annihilus, right? Like, so I'm kind of con- wondering why that change was made when also that change, being able to kick over those rocks could potentially have taken power off of something like a Miss Marvel. If junk wasn't garbage, Miss Marvel wouldn't be so much of a problem because you could junk the Miss Marvel and screw up her, her thing, right? Like, that's the whole point. So like, I don't, so anyways, this whole change really kind of bothered me. And I do think that two power is really significant. Like five, seven and five, five is completely different cards in my opinion so anyways that's my beef i'm actually pretty upset all right my beef is annihilist bounce has been my secret weapon for like two months now and i keep telling people it's completely insane and no one listened to me and now only apparently the only person listening to me was glenn jones who has decided to nerf my bet deck like this is I love this archetype. It is so fun. I love, 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 love playing it. It is an absolute blast. It was the first. If you go back to when Annihilus released, I put it in the bounce shell and everyone's like, oh, Cam, you idiot. You're putting it in the bounce shell. And then like you're not doing anything innovative here. And you know what? Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm not doing anything innovative. But what I did do was correctly identify that the way to play Annihilus is with the hood and with Sentry. And the leaked patch notes specifically say Annihilus is a problem with the hood and with century right and so i think there are two ways to look at the 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 change to the text right i'm not even going to talk about the change to power because yeah that's that sucks so bad (laughs) that is so bad but uh the change to text there's two ways to look about it the first is it feels like they're restricting the card to only be able to be used with the stuff that it's already good with which on some level i'm like Okay, you're saving people from themselves here, right? Like, if you're playing Debris Annihilus, that deck sucks. Don't even bother, right? But on another level, it's like, shouldn't you let the people do the bad thing? Like, shouldn't you let people figure that out? And I guess the third thing is, in a way, this might actually improve Debris because Debris Annihilus was so bad. Debris as just an actual card where you aren't trying to do, like, your terrible Annihilus stuff and then losing to the Annihilus decks who invest in him less because they also have Annihilus, but they're not like over investing in it. They're just playing good cards. Maybe it's an improvement, right? Like maybe this makes junk decks stronger in the context of they are no longer hard countered by the small Annihilus package. They no longer get completely obliterated. However, if you just go back to playing old school junk decks, you're still playing goblins, which are hard countered by the by the Annihilus package. So I'm not sure this actually does anything to do anything about the viability of junk. It's bad now. It will probably continue to be bad. And I'll be honest, I do think that's a good thing because I don't think a deck like junk being a dominant meta player is a, a compelling game experience. A lot of, you know, two cubers, galactus style game experience brendan smiling because yeah, he would yeah, love it yeah, yeah. He, he, he would he would love playing that deck but i i think it's probably a good thing i i guess i guess i'm just sad because you're right this was not a deck that was seeing like significant play rate and the fact in the leaked patch notes they mention at high infinite it was a bigger outlier in terms of win rate and it's like yeah that's because that we were the only people playing it it's literally <laughs> your fault dude you ruined it for everyone. Else. No, like just like it's like, you know, me and like the 12 other Annihilist truthers, right? And it's like, yeah, no, like we're the only people playing the deck in this form, right? Like everyone else is playing debris. No wonder the win rate is higher here, right? Did, did, they, like, actually, I just, did they actually write that? Uh, the, 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 yeah. That's pretty funny because like that is a 
That's a very direct way of saying that they have balanced the card based off of extremely small. Do you want me to go? Do you want me to go pull the quote? Yeah, it might I, not have been high infinite, but I can, I can go pull the quote for you real quick. Yeah, because I mean, okay, go ahead. So that might seem heavy, but Annihilus has been one of the most significant outliers in our card performance data for weeks now at every level of play. Even more surprising, Annihilus was performing better in our most competitive samples than anywhere else. Usually, strength flattens up there. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the more significant errors that I've seen. I mean, taking two power off the card is absolutely devastating, like you said. And then I wonder, yeah. I wonder what the actual like. I would love to hear more of an explanation of why they decided to cut out zero specifically, and like why they what they think that solves about the card that was currently an issue. But yeah, do you think that this card uh, is? I got a quote. I got a quote for you. Go for During it. design, we widened Annihilus's condition to include zero, in part because we were worried it wouldn't be strong enough when restricted to a, such a tight set of targets. But clearly, that is sufficiently strong, right? So basically, what they're saying is, since the best way to use him is with Sentry in the hood, we don't need to give him this other stuff for free. That's that's the argument. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well. Yeah, a significant nerf to say the least. Next up is Dracula. Uh, Dracula is a 4-0. It says, at the end of the game, discard a card from your hand. This has its power. It's now going to be a 4-1. and says, at the end of the game, discard a card from your hand and gain its power. This, I mean, the wording is a little bit different. I don't know if the wording changes anything. Like I said, I mean, I echo what you said earlier, Alex. It's just like, I'm having to read these things like 10 times because I'm like, okay, what are they trying to do? Like, what are they tricking me with here? Um, but I mean, this card is coming a 4-1. It's, what does this change for you guys in regards to Dracula? I mean, anything? It's a one power buff. Yeah. I just said nerf in Jotunheim. There you go. <laughs> it's a Mr. Yeah. Negative nerf as well. Yeah. It's a, it's a nerf in Jotunheim and a nerf in, uh, like, if you get Scorpion or twice on, like, if they combatage Scorpion you, it's like a nerf, right? Like, I think you could reasonably argue this is a nerf, even though it's intended to be a buff, because it's probably more likely that you end up like, you know, your opponent's high Evo Cyclops. You could normally like dump a Dracula in that lane and be like, ha, that card doesn't matter. Things like that. But I also just don't think it moves any real needles for the card. This is going to be the same card that it currently is. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to play like a Nikia swarm deck with Dracula at Hell a 14% yeah. win rate, you know, just to try, <laughs> try and buff uh, Dracula up a little bit. Like, I, I just don't know. Wait, like, wait, when does no, that's Dracula actually, actually sick. Get buffed up? That's actually sick with collector yeah. and everything. Yeah. No, like it's, it's not actually like action. It's not like, oh my God, the best idea I've ever heard. But like, I remember you remember the beta, right? We used to yeah. do Nikia swarm, right? Now, now, now we can actually play Dracula in that. It's, you know, probably not good, but like, at least we're not wasting half our procs. This is a lot of copium. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> hey, one power buff is not nothing. I and mean, we saw, we see one power buffs, one power nerfs all the time. And they're significant on some of our more powerful this cards. This kind of feels like nothing. Yeah, I know. Dude, can does. I revisit just how mad I am that it's a two power nerf to Annihilus? Like, what the hell, man? It's actually like, horrible. <laughs> it's, like, what the hell? <laughs> it's actually horrible. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, all right, Angel. One, two, uh, used to say, when one of your cards is destroyed, this flies out of your deck to replace it. It is still a one, two, and says, one, when one of your cards is, is destroyed, this flies out of your deck, or out of your hand, or your deck. So the hand is uh, added to that, so now it will fly out of your hand as well. I mean, it adds flexibility to the card, a card that I'm not sure was seeing any play. I, anything to talk about here? Buffs bots. Buffs bots. <laughs> Those are... <laughs> 
Wait, wait, that's true. No, oh my God. No, uh, uh, Angel's a card that I really want to be good because all my other card game instincts are like, oh my God, it's a free guy. That's so sick. Yeah, but it takes up a slot. I mean, it's just like. It takes up a slot and pulling it out of your hand is effectively like, okay, what? You really weren't going to have one energy to play this guy at some point and you were really just going to use all 21 energy. You really needed to pull it from your hand. Maybe like because like where I think Angel is actually good is if he's like, you know, deck thinning, right? That that's when he's legitimately good, which yeah. is never because by the time you're blowing stuff up, you have a 50 percent chance to have drawn him. And that downside is far too significant when compared to previous deck thinners like America Chavez. But Angel's a card I really wish I could play. I really do. And I don't think this does anything for him in any way, shape or form. The only way I think they can make Angel good is if he just couldn't draw him. <laughs> Then he'd just be America Chavez, right? Absolutely. And so they'll never do that. And they'll they'll never do that. They would not let you in a million years do that. Uh, But wait, okay, hear me out. They give Angel text that he says, you will always draw him on turn four. Okay, okay. Now we're talking. Like That's something at least. That's a card, right? Like that's that's an actual card. Because right now he's just Quicksilver. Yes. In the sense that I'd always draw him on turn one. Correct. Yeah. And <laughs> one, one thing I will say as well, though, is like with Destroy, it's been like the same list since August. Like, yeah, this, this list is so damn tight. No, what no, no, no. We added Nico Minoru. Oh, sorry. Ha! Sorry. My bad. My bad. Nico. That was the one change yes. in the entire borderline history of this game. Well, X-23 <laughs> as well is what I was referring to as well. Yeah, no, but like, like yeah, since like, X-23 is just Nico. <laughs> so, yeah, you cut Nico, you add Angel, and win rate drops by, what, 9%? <laughs> At least, probably. <laughs> and Nico's, uh, yeah, Nico's a significantly better card. I mean, playing, playing cards for free is, is a very powerful thing to do in any card game. But in Marvel Snap, you have limited you have limited board slots, and you're not playing this for free every single game. And at best, you're cheating out of one two. It's just like, I don't know, I don't know. I don't it's better that. in other card games because your dudes are resources, right? Like Patches the Pirate was a removal spell. He also represented immediate damage, right? Angel represents nothing. There's no value trading in Marvel Snap. You're not trading this one two for one of your opponent's things that they invested in. You're not getting a free trade. You're not getting a free resource. You're just getting two power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two power can be significant if it's taking Annihilus from seven power to five power, you know, because that's the same card. It's just two power weaker. But two power can be very insignificant in the context of how a game of Marvel Snap plays out, especially if you're investing heavily in getting just two power. Yeah. All right. Quake uh, previously two, three said on reveal, if this is in the middle location or at the middle location, swap the positions of each location, still going to be a two, three, but says on reveal, swap the positions of the other two locations. This is a, this is something that I don't remember who was on the podcast and who suggested it, but somebody did a long, long time ago. You go first. Cause I've got, I've got some things to say and I don't want to, I don't want to derail this wholly. I love the change. I think it's an actually cool change. Uh, the card has a legitimate, like viable play. Um, I think that it's going to really be powerful and it kind of solidifies the two drop as like this, like legitimate tech 
piece that you can use. Like, I feel like these two drop cards are becoming increasingly more powerful and increasingly more capable of flipping games on like turn five and six. And uh, I think that Quake can do that. There's so many locations that like, uh, that are just like detrimental to have changed at the last second, like Nexus and others. And not only that, but even things like Crimson Cosmos, if you're playing a surfer deck and like, you can't play cards that will fill up another location, then swap Crimson Cosmos to the other one you already filled and keep playing. Right. I think the flexibility is huge. Um, However, I think it's annoying because I think that uh, to some degree, I think the locations in Marvel Snap are incredibly important. And uh, I think that if you start playing with them a little too much, I wonder how that actually impacts the overall play experience. So this card, I'll, I'll be I'll be frank. This card scares the shit out of me. <laughs> I feel like if this card is as good as I think it is. We are going to be entering the single most annoying turn six metagame of all time. Like, this card is so devastating on turn six. Like, flipping, okay, there's a million locations. Flipping Baxter Building. Flipping any of the locations that give negative power. Flipping any of the locations that give positive power. Flipping the location that buffs one drops off. Flipping, like, there, there's a million, million things that can lose you games with this card. A million, billion, trillion of them. Obviously, like, the main ones are things like the Nexus and Negative Zone and things that just, you just absolutely ruin somebody off of. But, like, one of the things I dislike the most about current Marvel Snap, probably my only actual gameplay complaint with the game ever is the turn six mind game. Will they won't they turns the more of those there are in the game, the more I dislike playing them. Uh, Eliath is a big, you know, like I lost a game uh, to an Eliath where it was literally just, uh, well, there's two lanes for me to play my card in. And they have two lanes to pick an Eliath lane, so I just have to play this where the Eliath isn't. I hate those games. I hate them. And Blob is another big offender, where there's a lot of situations where it's like, well, wherever they Blob, I'm going to lose that lane, so I need to do this, right? And then if you just guess wrong, you die. And Quake, I feel like, is a card that is tailor-made for generating those situations, where it's not just, will they Quake? It's where will they quake? Mm. What will they flip? Who has How priority? can I try to play around that? Yeah. Are there ways to cover for the various permutations of quake? Can I cover for all of them? Extremely skill testing card, but it tests skills that I'm just, I just, I don't want to be a part of the game as much as I'm afraid yeah. that quake is going to be a part of the game. Does that make sense? Like, I think this card is absurd it's gonna be good i think this card is unbelievably good and i am very afraid of quake mirrors because mm. they sound like a goddamn nightmare yep turn six quake mirrors priority uh you both flipping like <laughs> i mean it's gonna be hilarious that's gonna be so funny um yeah so i don't know about the competitive integrity of this card but it is gonna lead to some funny game state scenarios. I mean, you mentioned not liking um, having to go with the 50-50, but I do think that that is a aspect of Marvel Snap that a lot of players enjoy, this idea that you can sort of mind read your opponent past sort of just being them on, you know, playing the, doing the quantitatively correct play. Because that's like the card gamer inside of you is like, I just want to play optimally and beat my opponent by playing optimally. But yep. I do think that there are people that enjoy the game on the axis of like, can I outthink my opponent or did I get lucky and beat them because I chose the 50-50 and they missed it? Those those are exciting. But like those 50-50s are literally just 50-50s. Like there's no mind reading there. Like I have literally used like 
coin flippers <laughs> to determine my plays in those situations. I mean, you're at a conquest. You're a couple of games in. You're like, oh, they always go <laughs> left. <laughs> they always go left. <laughs> I, I I like this. I, I don't dislike them. I don't know if I can say I like them. I don't know if I would if I was competing at the high end of ladder. But I do find there to be some joy in that. And when I lose, I know that it was truly out of my hands. So I do think this card will be extremely powerful. Um and I think it's going to be hilarious, actually, the turn six quake mirrors and the priority is going to go into that and just all the locations that are going to be flipped. This is just a massive change to the card. I mean, it's completely yeah. different, completely different. Alex, you know, after us having that conversation a bit more, how like, do you have any more thoughts on this card? No, I, I thought it was going to be legitimately powerful. Uh, I do think that uh, it's the kind of two drop similar to Shadow King that you don't like tempo it out, right? So mm, yeah. I don't know if it's the fact that it's a two three is even relevant, honestly. Like I think its power is not really in its power, but rather in its ability. Its text is going to be tremendously powerful. And uh, um, yeah, it's the when Cam was complaining about the potential mirror matches, I mean, we're not that far off from what a Nihilus mirror matches felt like, and that felt pretty terrible for a while. Yeah, that was that awful. This, <laughs> yeah, so these, this is gonna be pretty similar, I think. Maybe, yeah. how many I uh, will say that, like, as much as I like talk about how much I hate mirrors, I am like very successful in them. Like, one of my best seasons ever was like just when I was ahead of the Loki mirror. Right. When it first came out, I got how to play that a little bit faster than most people did. It's not that I feel like I'm going to lose because I, I am fairly confident that I will be pretty good at playing Quake Mirrors and pretty good at figuring out those permutations and probably better than most people at them. Most people that I play. Right. It's just not something I enjoy. You know, it's not about my win rate. It's about like, I just don't enjoy when I have to stretch those muscles. Mm. I just don't like it. How many decks do you think the Quake goes in and how significant is going to, is the Quake diff going to be if you have the Quake and your opponent doesn't? So you have agency to manipulate the locations of the final turn of the game and they don't. How many decks do you think this card is going to go in? Mid range decks play this. Decks where costing two is a superpower, right? Like decks where like there's a big four that you play alongside it kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like your final turn, you know, Quake Darkhawk or whatever. Uh, oh, my God. There's just so much that this thing does. Like, God, I'm yeah. imagining like, OK, it's turn five. You Quake a kiln over and suddenly they can't play on the location, right? Like they invested in the kiln, right? Now, suddenly you've been investing in this other location and the kiln is in the middle in the location that you invested in. And then you can play into the location that was previously the kiln. And it's just like, oh, God, this card's going to be so good, man. This card is going to be so damn good. Yeah. How big, how, like, how significant do you think that the diff is for the player that has the quake and has the agency to do that on turn five or turn six? Cause I think you can do it on both, but turn six can be more surprising. Like, how, how much, like, what is, can you quantify or at least articulate no. the power level of the player that is able to manipulate two locations on the final turn of the game versus a player that is not? It's going to be like a card that just gets you free wins, right? Like, it's going to feel a lot like early Legion. But the issue is Legion is held back in the context of your five drops are very, very strong, right? Mm -hmm. Legion right now is competing with Sarah and Black Knight decks. It's competing with Leech and Darkhawk and Black Knight decks, right? Like it's, it's, it's hard to do. Your two drops are not that strong. This is a much easier card to get into your decks. Yep. And so I, I think it's I think. I, and this is one of those things where it's like, I, I hope to God I'm wrong about this because I don't want to deal with that kind of metagame. But she seems quite powerful to me. 
two thoughts that I had is that there's going to be a lot of situations, a lot of games where it is going to be dead weight. It's going to be a two, three, we're really flipping locations means nothing. And, uh, in a lot of decks, I mean, this is something you guys say all the time on this pod. You guys talk about how like you often want your deck to do the thing it's designed to do and mm-hmm. quake might take some ceiling off of your deck design or whatever your deck's being designed to do. So that's one uh, consideration. The other thing is, is this is definitely kind of an impact on control because if you think about what like storm does right yeah uh it's definitely a hit against storm so uh lockdown is going to be kind of negatively impacted by this i think and storm by association is going to be negatively impacted but overall i'm excited to see what it does but uh i mean i'm sure in their testing they would have realized they would have surely tested it right and hopefully it doesn't come out and completely destroy the meta as uh, cam is uh anticipating fearing yeah. Fearing. They, yeah, may have t- they may have tested it and enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> this this card is super interesting because I think another thing we talk about in this podcast a lot is just quantitatively assessing cards and why they're powerful. Um, this card <laughs> yeah, keep is- keep in mind, this is the same team that tested Loki, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the same from the minds that brought you 3-5 Loki. <laughs> The, I mean, quake. this card is still, like, what's funny is, like, uh, evaluating the, this, the power level of this card is- because we're going to like context-based evaluation and that's like, I don't know, it's just hard to get a grasp on that versus looking at something um, like a Werewolf by Night, like an Elsa. So at the end of the day, this is still just a 2-3, but we have to think yes. about it in the context of the two-cost slot. And it's hard to assign a, like an act, and I hate to use this word too much because I know you, a quantitative value to being able to manipulate locations like this, like there, you can't, I don't know what value would give it. So like how powerful is this card actually? Cause like you said, in some games, I hope she sucks. It will be so good. I tell tell you right now, this this card is going to be so good. (laughs) This is such a strong thing to do in Marvel snap. Um, And it just gives you such a level of asymmetry of your opponent in terms of actual agency in the game. And the fact that you can surprise them and splash it with your four cost in turn six is just gross. Yeah, uh, we're in for a ride. It's a complete revival of the card. I'm really, I'm because a lot of times we see, I don't know, somewhat uninspiring nerfs or buffs where it's just like, okay, point here, point there. I mean, this is, we're taking an old card that wasn't played, that's been in the game for a long time, and we're completely, we're giving it an entire new life. Maybe it will become the tyrant of Marvel Snap, but this card is a total rework. Um, anyway. Two cost Legion, straight up. That's what I, I think so like, too. This is, this is what Legion does most of the time, mm-hmm. right? With the exception of like uh, those plays where he's like flooding the board with squirrels and rocks or whatever, it is just two cost Legion. Like Legion, it's the same rug pulls where you uh, are able to pull this off. And two cost Legion is is so much so much more playable than five cost Legion. Yeah. All right. Last one here is King Ping. Uh, a th- previously a three four. It said when a card moves here on turn six, destroy it. Is now going to be a two three, and says when an enemy card moves here, afflict it with minus two power. So you're moving that turn six clause, but also moving the destruction payoff instead of giving it minus two power and also reducing the cost. So definitely a, a buff to the the sort of cost power ratio. But ultimately, how do you feel about the effect and the flexibility of the effect because it doesn't only exist on turn six. I felt like I this could have been a new card. Oh. I like I, go, I didn't ahead, actually yeah. think it had to be like uh, like a change to Kingpin in and of itself. I thought that this could have been a new card, a new release. This feels like a change that was locked in when uh, Silky Smooth was dominating everything, and they just kind of like we're trying to figure out when this was going to be placed in. It feels like more of an answer to that pocket meta as opposed to like let's make Kingpin like better. But I think it is better. But I still think the old effect was cool. It just didn't have enough support pieces to make it actually viable. I think that if you think of Kingpin as a deck that is meant as a card that is meant to keep decks like Silky Smooth down, right? Uh, it was objectively not good at that. Mm-hmm. 
And so making a card that would be good at that is worth doing, I think. Yeah, exactly. That's though, what I'm saying. Yeah. Like though the weird bit about it to me is I almost want to see like, okay, what if I run this in the move deck, right? Mm-hmm. Like what if I'm like playing Stegron and Arrow? Yeah. What if I'm what if I'm playing Juggernaut? What if I'm playing Spider-Man, right? My stuff is not getting negatives. It feels like it's like Okay, pretty mediocre Craven, right? It's like slightly worse Craven, but we are so down bad in terms of scaling two drops that like I'm actually kind of interested in a deck that has Craven and this because it's like we're getting a scaler here. Yep. We have Spider-Man, we have Arrow, we have Stegron, we have like actual things that could scale this guy up and he could be like a two, you know, five, seven, nine if we get lucky. And like that's actually like, oh, wait, that's pretty good, right? Um... I also think like the like I, I genuinely am interested in him. I'm going to be real. I just think that like, you know, he's still probably going to be like all those move decks, those movement rage decks just kind of get clowned by Loki. And I doubt that's going to change unless people just stop playing the card, which, you know, hopefully but, like, the the idea, the issue with those all those like good stats mid range decks have is their stats are not conditional enough. And so what will happen is Loki will come down on like turn four. And then their turn five is just going to be everything you did as your move deck from turns one through four. Right. Mm-hmm. They'll play like a Craven and a Kingpin and a two cost Spider-Man and uh, a Silk. Right. And that's everything you did. <laughs> so it's like you just end up in this situation where like the, the matchup becomes untenable against anything playing Loki, which I think is actually like. I'll give them credit on this. I think it's probably good that there is a hard counter to these like big stats, but not too big. So you can't interact with them decks. I think that's probably good. Um, It's just it does sort of keep a hard cap on them. But yeah, I actually I kind of like this as a potential card in that archetype. I also like it. As flavor, because he's a mob guy and you enter his territory and you have to pay taxes. And I think I think that's good. You're paying you're paying him his little protection money. You're tithing. I think that's good. I think it's good flavor. Um, yeah. So I would ask you, what value are you? Lo- so on your two cost scaler, what va- what value of like what floor value are you looking to hit? Is it a two seven or is it like a I two? Think so yeah, yeah, two seven floor, and then you want your ceiling your ceilings to be around two nine to eleven area. Mm-hmm. Is that where you become the fact a good? That he card? doesn't affect your own cards. Is actually really good because yeah. if he did he'd probably be unplayable definitely definitely i think this is a this could be in the right deck could be a two seven as a floor reasonable amount of time and you could get up to that two nine um, potentially two eleven territory which is actually a good card um I, but like you said yeah like imagine you play magneto on the kingpin lane right like that's pretty good Mm-hmm. Given a bunch yeah, of before stuff, like, you would destroy the cards though. Now they're just getting negative. Yeah, too. you'd destroy the cards, but also the card itself was not worth putting in the deck. Now it costs two, and it's way easier to actually put in your deck, right? Mm-hmm. True. Like before you'd destroy the cards and it would be super cool, but now like you're I won't say you're like effectively destroying them, but you're probably winning that freaking lane, right? Mm-hmm. And you are also drastically impacting the rest of the board. Plus, you have like your stagger on your arrow, all that stuff. Like, I I guess I think that costing two is actually just that good, right? Like, it's actually just like being able to, like, curve this into Spider-Man or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's just it's just that good, right? Like, costing two is exactly that good. You guys remember when Lizard was good? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I played Lizard, like, within the last month. That's crazy. 
<laughs> I don't know if I played it in the last month, but I do remember when it was good. I mean, it was the two-cost card. This is an interesting card because the ceiling is actually somewhat capped. Like, the idea of Angela is that the ceiling... I mean, the like the base, base, basic idea of Angela is like, the ceiling is kind of capped, right? Because you only put so many cards in that lane. But then you're like, oh, I can take cards out of lane. Then I put it in the lane and it can keep scaling up. This card, I mean, it's your opponent's lane. How many... I don't think you can really get past moving potentially like three cards into this lane. Your opponent's lane is just full, right? And your opponent also yeah, has also a lot of incentivized to fill yeah, it up. A lot of agency to have counterplay to this, which I think significantly reduces the power level of the card because they can just play into that lane. So something to think about. I, I don't think it'll make a, as a huge splash. It won't be a quake, but um, it is a buff. I do think it is a buff. Um, I just think that like it is a card that like okay if you're playing the craven move deck that's like the deck quake probably goes in right mm -hmm. like that's actually like the kind of deck that can afford it i don't know i'm interested yeah it's a cool change all right so we're actually going to skip the ben and snap section um which is our listener question section this week because do one come on do one okay i'll do one um we had a lot of feedback from last week's episode we were asking about like you know 2024 would you enjoy 2023 what are you going to see in 2024 Pretty much only got good feedback, and the only thing we we heard was have more guests on. So here you are. You have it. We have a guest. Um, and the one question we had was from Maverick and said, random and probably pointless question. Cam, why do you use the purple epic border for all of your cards? Looks cool. Looks cool. Uh, I like the purple. It's a cool color. It's uh, just far enough, uh, uh, enough up that you stop getting like significant visual upgrades on the cards past it like oh shiny logo i don't care right like you get to animate it that's that's good enough for me right uh and i think the borders past it the only real competitor for me is uh the gold one mm -hmm. i think the red one looks like crap and the infinite one looks like crap and i generally if i like that the only real choice is between uh gold or purple for me and so once I started everything purple, it, it's like, well, I can't change it now because if I change one card the next time I make a deck, it won't actually be able to be like that. It won't be matching. Mm -hmm. uh, and I post a lot of deck screenshots on Twitter. A lot of my videos involve pictures of decks, right? Like a video of my deck that I'm, you know, playing right now. I, I like the matching. I do. All right. Well, if you want to get your question read right on for next week's episode, you can shoot us a comment on YouTube. We'll get it queued up. All right. <clears throat> on to our Wait, main can I ask? Can I ask a question? Am I the only person who does this? Alex, do you do this? Or is it literally like, do you do you have any sort of rhyme or reason with your borders or anything like that? Because I, I do. I refuse okay. to use anything with a foil background. I use the base card art or yep. golds or inked, nothing else. If I get a uh, foil background, I just ignore the card like it doesn't even exist. Um, I tend to now upgrade everything to infinite, but for a long time, I stopped. I always matched the border with the nameplate. So sure. if like the card had a red, like Daredevil is in red, I would get the red yeah. border. If like uh, like White Queen's in blue, I would just go to blue and stuff like that. Like I kept always matching the border to the nameplate. That was like my obsessive thing for a while, but I've tried to get over it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, see, okay, chatter. It's not just me. Everyone has one of these. Foils I, don't I feel exist. like that's actually true. That's like, just everyone has true. like some preferences like this. Foils just straight up don't exist. They look terrible. Um, <laughs> I get mine to gold and then I don't upgrade them anymore. So I have like default gold. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's like that's like my thing. All right, on to the main there, topic. There are plenty of people who do that with inks too, right? They love like ink no border. Because that right? act, that's actually 
like unique. You don't really encounter that a lot. Someone who has a full deck that is like inked or gold that is not upgraded because it is. It looks very different. Like the card art looks like smaller. Like it, it's it's visually yeah. striking. So anyway, the main topic we're circling back, catching up with Alex after six months because we asked you a lot of questions about Marvel Snap. So we gotta we gotta check in see see how it's going. First thing I want to ask you is just in regards to content creation in your channel. Um, so over half a year of doing this, how has your journey, your strategy and your audience changed during that time? Has it like, how have you grown and how, are you a different content creator than you were six months ago? And in what way? You know, I think the major thing for me is just, um, I earlier on, I was much, I was very dedicated to the grind. I was trying to min max algorithm. I was trying to do all those things that like, unfortunately we're kind of forced to do. And now I kind of just wake up in the morning uh, when I get to sleep and I'm like, I'm just going to enjoy what I can't believe I get to do this. Like, mm -hmm. I can't believe that I get to turn on the camera, go and stream, play a game that I honestly love. And a community that I love is there laughing along with me as we play Kang of the decks and stuff like that. Like for me, it's like, I think I've started to really lean in towards, you know what? Like, let me, I just want to love what I'm doing and take every, uh, take in every moment because like, I don't want to be a slave to the algorithm. I don't want to be someone who's constantly stressing over uh, numbers or whatever it is. Cause it's so easy to fall into that analytics trap. I think when you start to do content creation, cause we get judged by numbers mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel fair all the time. We get judged by numbers. And as soon as I start to really let that go, I felt like I was just so much more comfortable playing the game I love and just doing what I love. And so that's kind of how I've changed over the last six months. Mm-hmm. What Hit me up if you have any suggestions for that algorithm stuff, though, because like I, I I've always been doing what you're doing right now. I have no idea what I'm doing. I mean, <laughs> like, I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. I think you're on the right track. You do the crossovers, right? Like that's a big algorithm thing. I think that those are you probably enjoy doing those videos because you get the talk your content. Some of my favorite on YouTube, yeah. man. Like, honestly, I, I just think it's fantastic. do it, though. Like, I just like I like I, it's like, oh, this went well. I'll keep doing it. It's literally like. Like I don't, I don't do algorithm. The closest I've come to doing an algorithm thing was when I was like, "Huh, someone should do the other players from other card games rate cards thing in 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 Snap." That's literally the closest I've come to doing it. So like when people talk about like algorithm stuff, it's like I don't even know how. Like, uh, do I need to be using different tags? Do my descriptions need to be different? Because that's just stuff I've never I've never done i just like mm. i've been so blown away by the fact that it has that like i've gotten to where i've gotten where it's like well i better just keep doing this or good lord yeah. who knows what could happen it's kind of crazy like the way the algorithm works and how like you really do have to play towards it um i actually did a bit of a test this was a few months back and i released a video where i was like the title was like super hype like borderline like too much clickbait it was like mm. really in there right mm. the next video i followed up with and the video performed well the next video I did was like, this deck is pretty good and wins most of the time was the title. I swear. No, no caps, nothing. Even the thumbnail was like pretty good. was like the big text on the thumbnail. I feel like I would click that. <laughs> Honestly, the video underperformed by like half of what my videos <laughs> usually did. So it, all it did was reinforce like how dirty the algo game is. Unfortunately uh, on YouTube. So it's just like, oh, Damn. I wish it was the other way around, but it's just not. <laughs> Dude, I would click that so hard. I feel like that's such a fun thing. Like, I feel like maybe I could get away with that. Like if I released a video like that, everyone, like it was all like lowercase, everyone would be like, oh, I <laughs> get what he's doing here right like i feel like maybe i, I want to try that now oh god yeah, we should both try it like next week or <laughs> yeah, something. yeah, yeah. like i, I gotta yeah next time i find a deck that's like pretty good and wins most of the time i'll be like this deck is pretty good and wins <laughs> most of the time and just nothing else in there <laughs> yeah. 
Alex, what oh, are your man. what are your thoughts on the current state of Marvel Snap? And I want to put the onus on you to articulate what you think that current state, and I put that in quotations, is. I think it's frustrating a lot of casual players. I think that a lot of players who aren't like us that, you know, are, are heavily invested in the game and uh, t- keeping tabs on it competitively. I think the average player that's buying like one cheap bundle a month and kind of just buying the season pass and trying to figure out where to spend their spotlight keys are, are getting frustrated uh, because what you have here is it's, it's a blessing and a curse. We get a ton of updates per month. We are, we have a very active development team with balance and stuff, and that's fantastic. But for, for the scarcity that exists for the resources that we have available, a lot of players are getting frustrated because you're trying to plan in advance how to spend spotlight keys. And then just before they spend those keys, cards get nerfed. The meta shifts wildly. Like just look at Celine as an example. Celine was a card that a lot of people were excited about. And then as Celine came and people had saved uh, their spotlight keys for her, the entire archetype around her got completely destroyed. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm sorry. Celine was never going to be good in that deck. It was going to be good. I think no. Celine was going to be good with Viper. Not, not oh, Viper, you sorry. Viper. With Black oh, Widow. okay. I thought with you were Black talking Widow. about the Annihilus bounce. And I was like, no way. No. Celine, no way. And, Celine and Black Widow was one of the most insane, corrupt okay. turn three plays in the history of yes. Snap. And they butchered it before the card came out. And uh, that was at the time where Bounce was using like was using Black Widow ad nauseum. If you add Celine to that mix, that bounce list, the even the Annihilus bounce list that you were talking about before would have just been insane. And that's probably why they took it out. But what I'm trying to circle back on is I think the average casual player is getting very frustrated with their inability to confidently spend their resources, save their resources, and even like gold bundles have had a remarkable decrease in value, which is sad because we don't get that much free gold anymore. And gold is a paid currency. So like, I think there's a lot of frustration on like, how does a player who's buying the season pass or free to play even compete or even how do they get ahead? How do they catch up? And now they're adding an additional card in the first week, Mm -hmm. right? Not insignificant for someone with limited resources. Mm -hmm. So that is what I'm getting from the greater community because uh, I hear, I see a lot of my comments. I see a lot of on stream. I'm sure you see the same cam, but uh, I think that's one of the major sources of frustration in snap right now. Now You knocked that shit out of the park. Yeah. Uh, You you, like the only objection I have is I don't actually think Celine would have gone in the like bounce lists. I, I genuinely do think that like it's, Again, like like Annihilus is better. The less you invest in him, the more you're investing in Annihilus, the more you're doing like Celine Black Widow stuff, the more it's like you get blown out by their Annihilus. So I, I do think that that probably doesn't happen, but I am 100% behind you in terms of how constant metagame changes mm-hmm. make people feel. It makes you feel like it's a bait and switch, right? If you were someone who was joining the game right now and they were like, should I get Miss Marvel? What are you supposed to tell them? Like, what are you supposed to say? I did a spotlight cache review using the data mines, right? Upcoming spotlight caches include Werewolf by Night and include Annihilus. And it's like, well, you know, if you started saving two months ago, you feel like an idiot, don't you? Like, if you were like... Yeah, it's like uh, these would have been great caches if they were, you know, if these cards were still what they were, but they're not what they were. And now we don't know how good they are. And mm-hmm. there's this and I, I I think you're right about it being a blessing and a curse. And I think that they it's part of why, like the Marvel Snap community's desire to find a new thing to complain about every single week 
is a little bit exhausting to me. Like this part of why I was pushing back so hard on people complaining about high Evo of all things. Like that's like the fifth or sixth best deck. Like what are what are we what are we doing here? Because the more like and this is actually like a thing I've been thinking about a lot. Because people talk about it in the context of like, you know, oh God, why are you asking for nerfs on these cards, Cam? Why do you want these cards to get nerfed? And the answer I always have is because, you know, they're really they're too good and they deserve to be nerfed. But the question then becomes like, to what degree do we as creators play into this hype and bust cycle, right? Where a card comes out and we're like, this is so sick. You need to get it. You're going to win a million games with it. And then three weeks later, we're like, this is too sick. They need to nerf it. Too many people are winning a million games with it. And to what degree are we culpable for that? Right. Mm. Like it's one of the things that really made me sort of stop making videos about cards being problematic. I, I don't think I've done. They like we need to nerf this card video in a very long time because and when I do do them, it's 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 with all these, you know, caveats and stuff right because at on some level i feel some level of responsibility because like a card comes out we break it in half like this is what happened with loki they didn't expect loki to be as good as it was and we made it as good as it was be, they, they whiffed on it right they didn't build the loki decks the right way they didn't build the elsa decks the right way we we did that the we being the competitive community and then we got those cards nerfed because they were too good and I guess that is something that it's like I can understand a, a casual player feeling resentment for that because they weren't the reason those cards got nerfed, right? Like They didn't do that. Well, they just bought the new season pass card because they thought it looked good. And yeah. then like me or Lambie or one of the like monstrous Korean deck builders like Johnson or somebody does something crazy with it. And now their cool new card is getting nerfed because of things they can't even control. And uh, yeah, no, I feel for that. And I don't really know how to solve the problem. Alex, as someone who watches your content like as like a like a fan first and like actually enjoys watching it. I do think that the, those type of videos are actually super cool. I think that like the reason why we are subscribed to KM Best on YouTube is because we want to hear your takes on those types of things. And while I respect the fact that you feel like culpable for those types of things and hyping a card and asking for its nerf at the same time, that's, that's why your voice matters. That's why like we're interested in your takes because you have that perspective on that higher end community. So um, just to give you that idea that like there are people that want to hear that too, right? Sure. It's just uh, like uh, on some level, not that I'm the reason the card is getting nerfed. I'm not that arrogant. Right. But it does make me feel weird to be participating in what you could reasonably describe as a boom bust cycle. Right. When Loki first came out, I was like, yo, Loki's broken. Definitely recommend getting him three weeks later. I'm like, yo, Loki's broken. They should probably nerf him. Right. And part of that is just because it's easy to tell that he's really, really good early. And it's hard to tell that he's broken early. Like, it's hard to tell exactly how broken he is and exactly what needs to change about him until later on. Right. So part of it is just like, you know, this card is amazing and I think it's incredible. And then later on, it becomes very clear that it is a problem. And then you make another video. I don't know. Like, I don't think it's my fault. I think it's a structural issue with a game that is willing to release cards too strong and then balance them back yeah. later. Right. It, it is. And the game is also. To be clear, the game is also willing to release cards too weak and then buff them to be strong later. Look at Black Knight, right? Like, like this is like I, I honestly think that, like, you look at Black Knight, you look at Gladiator, 
And so people feel like they're getting screwed both ways. When they invest in a card and it gets nerfed, and then a card they could have gotten gets buffed, they're just like, what the hell was I supposed to do, right? I invested in Werewolf over Black Knight, and that was right then, but it's wrong now. The answer's changed. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, I don't know how you solve that from our end. It just has to be dealt with inside second dinner, right? Like I invested in, uh, you know, whatever came out before Gladiator instead of Gladiator. And now that he's a 3-8 and America Chavez is gone, I feel like an idiot for not owning a 3-8, right? Like there, there, there's, it happens both directions. And while I think that isn't a good goal, right? <laughs> like it's good that they should aim for every card they release to be good. They might have been flying a little too close to the sun on that one. You know what I mean? It, Marvel's not is a boom bust cycle. The issue is that the card acquisition is not congruent with a boom bust game. So, like a boom, like the boom bust metagame, like the dynamic metagame is the ideal state of a metagame for a card game. It's a shifting metagame. New decks come into the fray. Cards that were bad become good. Good cards come, become bad. But all of that is hurt by the card acquisition system, which just does not work with that type of metagame. You lead to these feels bad and it becomes more of a financial game than like an actual card game metagame. And that's what's weird. My question is, is like how much of this, you talk about this tension, the limited resource tension, how much of that tension is by design? Like how much of it is, and I'm not saying that as in like a cynical way as in they're trying to, you know, buff, buff cards and make you buy them. But in the sense of like, how much do they, is there part of this game that wants to give an advantage to players that are deploying more resources rather than not? And then what level of tension is actually sort of acceptable for these normal players, right? Because I feel it as well. As I've engaged with the game less, I, you know, will come back and then it's like, oh my God, it's like now I have to acquire all these cards. How long do I have to wait? How do I get the spotlight cash? How do I accumulate more resources? And it's just the tension becomes it's become such a weight, right? Because the metagame is so much in flux. But on the other side, I can't imagine Marvel Snap as a metagame that wasn't in flux because it's one of the best mm-hmm. things about the metagame. It's the it's the best thing about the game. Like there is no other card game that I know of that that changes happen this often, that the, the metagame is that dynamic, the cards are that dynamic, that things change this much. You can break the metagame constantly. Every two weeks, there's more opportunities for you to express your way in deck building because there are new cards injected into the game, both through OTA and both through release. But... All of that, all of that essence that makes this this card game amazing is sort of, it just bumps up against the card acquisition system. Because when cards cost almost $100 each, it doesn't work well in that system. And like, how much tension is acceptable, do you think, Alex? And like, what, and are they twisting these knobs a little bit too much, in your your opinion? Wow, this is like literally the most intense five minute question I think I've ever been given because like it is it's literally the question of snap right now it's like the question that needs to be answered from by second dinner it's the thing that really rests on the minds of a lot of players and you're absolutely correct um I think that the monetization of snap was one of its strongest points when the game first launched um there's no question that the monetization and collection system was a strong point And then now we're in a situation where the monetization system is one of the, by far the weakest points. If not, it is a thing that turns people actively away from the game. Uh, Because first of all, what's a new player to do when you start the game and you have this insane mountain to climb for card collection? Like what, what do you even tell a new player, right? The other side to that is um, the, the bundles and the resources, the collector's tokens, all these things, what they've taken out of the collector's reserves. Like I have almost 700 unopened collector's reserves. Because they're useless. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, it's like people's like, oh, are you just waiting until they buff them? I'm like, I just don't even want to open them. 
because I know I'm just going to be disappointed. And so like, I think there is a lot around the edges of the monetization system that really needs to be addressed. And, uh, like, yeah, I think in my opinion, I think the, the bundling, I think the bundles are too expensive. I think they are not giving enough resources. I think that the monetization of the game is by far the weakest component and it's borderline indefensible. So I, I don't know what to say at this point. And I do think that there is an advantage to card acquisition for players who spend money. And I think that much is clear. Um, and I, yeah, Kim, I'll pass to you from there, but I do think it is a significant problem. I think that Brendan nailed it when he said that the direction they're taking with the metagame is not congruent with the direction they're taking monetization. And I think that that is a very elegant way of phrasing it where the people on the metagame side are doing the metagame thing and the people on the monetization side are doing the monetization thing and it almost feels like nobody at the top is making sure that these two systems make sense in the same context. And I can think of a million ways that like you could try to massage them, right? Like when you talk about like look at this week's cash, the Kyra cash. Mm-hmm. If they just did that more. They just put like all the series 4 and 5 cards you needed for one deck in there. If they did, if they were more aggressive with series drops, right? Like why the hell is Howard the duck not going into series three? Like it's, it's ridiculous. And there are, there are so many ways for them to massage this, right? There are so many ways for them to make it. The systems say the same, but the implementation changes, right? And this Kyra cache is a great example of how the systems could stay the same, but the implementation of them could change because this Kyra cache has people complaining about a deck that actually sucks, right? That's phenomenal. You did amazing. That's amazing work because just accessibility got these people like the fact that people are mad about it is because of the accessibility is a testament to how good that was, right? And when you look ahead at these caches, it's like, Doing that feels like a cheat code to me. They need to be doing that way more. And then when you look ahead to these other caches, it's like, well, oh my God, like what? Is, there's like, like they're just very, it feels like they're very clearly set up where it's like there's one draw and then the other cards are not good. And it's like the whole point of what series drops should be is they should be filtering out the stuff that sucks. The stuff that is not a draw. Howard the Duck, again, criminal that he is remaining in series four ridiculous he's one of the worst cards in the game it's like if angel was in these caches what are we doing here like there are i get that there are probably reasons but it the the fundamental thing is like brendan said the monetization is not congruent and it doesn't feel like there's any attempt to make it congruent with the idea of a fast rotating metagame yeah. Another key component of that as well is that you have this moving target where data mines are not consistent with the releases of the bundles. And that's not necessarily second dinner's fault, but it is potentially their fault if they can be a little more forthcoming what with what these bundles are in advance so people can plan for them. There, there's no planning element at all. And so in one degree, you know, you don't like the data mines because they're they can change and perhaps they're taking some of the uh, the wind out of the sails of the marketing team. But at the same time, players have to save. Like these gold bundles are 7,500 gold. Yes. Like that's a lot of gold. It's $100 American. Yes. It's like 150 in like Australian dollars. Canadian dollars. Yeah, number, it's like 140 right? plus tax. Yeah. Yeah. Like this is the numbers are too big 
on these to not let people plan around them. Mm-hmm. They are too large. And how you acquire those and resources takes time as well. That's the problem. Is it takes I mean, it takes a lot of time to acquire resources in this game. There are people for whom it would be a lot of effort to acquire $150 in that time of disposable income. Like, what are we doing here? I, I just got Baldur's Gate 3. It was like 50 bucks. Like, yeah. like I, I'm not I'm not wanting a person to complain about, you know, the pricing of things because, you know, th- these are luxury goods and they're intended to be luxury goods. And that's fine. Right. Like, I get it. But if they want to charge that much, I do feel like there is some degree to which it would be helpful to let people plan. Yeah. And this is another situation where I feel like the monetization is incongruent with how people actually play the game and how people actually interact with the metagame, the way people function as, you know, human beings. Yes. In this game. And the monetization, it feels like, is aimed at leaving everyone in a contextless void where all they have to look at is the current bundle and whether or not that's a good idea, which is a very good way of getting people to spend more money, but it's not a good way of getting people to stay. Yeah. My biggest worry is that they're actually making the right decision, that their decisions are actually backed up by consumer behavior and the consumers actually enjoy unfair advantages. They actually enjoy a pay to win aspect to a game and it actually contributes to a better bottom line. The real question is the longevity because there is a tension that builds up and it builds up like a debt. And is there a point? Because they won't learn that lesson until they, they really learn it. Right. And what I'm actually worried about is if is that the consumers are the ones that are actually perpetuating this cycle because they show on the on the back end on the bottom line that these tactics work and that they buy and engage with the game more when these tactics tactics are implemented and the whales are the ones that are buying the whales are the ones that that matter and like that's i don't know i don't know the answer because all of us we we feel the tension we hear about the tension and I'm just like, it can't, it can't go on forever, right? Like this, I always think about the system. I, the, what the funny part is, I always think about the Marvel Snap card acquisition system and the monetization system in general as something that is at fault that they have to work on to fix. But what if that is not the framing of the issue? What if the framing is, is that it is, it is in a good state and it will only be further optimized? Cause I've just taken it as yes. a truth that it is at fault, right? What if it's so- not? What you're talking about is a concept I I believe is referred to as a trust thermocline. And if you're not aware, like I'm going to read the definition of a thermocline because I'm kind of an idiot, right? Large bodies of water are made of layers of differing temperatures. And the top bit is where like that's what you look at when you see a lake, right? And then you go down further and further and further. And then there's a point at which like the distance does not increase that much, but suddenly it gets very, 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 very cold, very, 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 very fast. And then the concept in the context of, of like a business, this is when multiple things have been building up over time, but they are not realized until that massive drop off actually happens. Right. Like this is what an example of this would probably be, you know, blizzard generally. Mm-hmm. Right. They'd been making these decisions for a while. It had been gradually trending a certain direction with Blizzard. Right. And then once say, you know, uh, don't you guys have phones happen? Right. Like there's a flashpoint moment, but that moment isn't the reason. The reason is everything that happened to build up to that moment. And then once that happens, it's very hard to get it back. And like, that would be the thing that I'd be worried about with snap is like, I'm not saying this is like absolutely inevitable, 
But what I am saying is like you wouldn't notice it if it was. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's um it's an interesting thing. It's like how how do they like how do they come to a decision to actually change the system in in a way that would feel better for players like us and maybe players not like us and it's just it's hard to see it. Talking about Blizzard. And I'm sure everybody's seen this guy's shorts. It's the guy like Pirate Software or something. I, I don't know what his name is, but his shorts pop up for everybody. He's massively viral. He just talks about random shit. But for Blizzard, the if any of you played World of Warcraft, the first microtransaction mount in World of Warcraft, this stupid little mount made more money than all of StarCraft II Wings of Liberty. So yeah. there's a reason why they make these decisions. And that's what I waffle between in Snap. It's like, do Unfortunately, do, do the consumers just back up this this sort of behavior and this monetization that they want an unfair advantage? They want to be paying more, and like that's what matters. So I think yeah. they back it up until they don't. I know, and but that's the like, issue. What's the inflection right? point? Like, where how is do you, yeah, like where is that point? Where do you hit that thermocline? Nobody. Where do you hit that guy in your press conference or not your press conference in your big game announcement asking, "Is this an out of season April Fool's joke?" Right? Like, when does that happen? And that didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen because of one moment. It happened because of a gradual process of increasing financialization that naturally resulted in lowered consumer trust over time. And I don't know if you're if you're running a business like that's kind of a thing that I would think about. I think about that in the context of my stream a lot, actually. Yeah. Like at what point, like how many days off am I allowed to take? Right. Like how many how many days off am I allowed to take before my before people are like, well, he doesn't actually do he doesn't stream enough, right? How how many how much am I allowed to do until I hit that trust thermocline? How far can I fall rank wise before I hit that trust thermocline? Yeah. Oh, he was one of the best players, but now he's not. I better stop watching him. These are the things that keep me up at night. Like, and I would hope that the similar equivalents of them are keeping the people at second dinner up at night. Mm -hmm. I want to I want to put a, a sort of a period on this and end to it and that's I just want to tie it off with this this concept that I sort of came to in this conversation not really crystallized before and said one of the things I worry about is that I look at it and I think a lot of us look at it as if it is a defunct system that is being worked on that will improve in the future and I wonder if the reality is the opposite of that where the system is actually progressing more and more towards an ideal state and this is the optimal system because we always talk about it like it's not. And I don't know the I don't know the answer. I mean, I would be willing to bet that from a monetization perspective that it like I my understanding like this is just a, a wild shot in the dark, like it's actually just guessing, but I would expect the reality to be that it's very hard to pitch your bosses on here's why we need to make less money next month. Like, I just I would expect that to be the reality, right? When you're raking in a bunch of money, how are you as someone like, let's say there's like a hypothetical person within second dinner who recognizes these issues and wants to make sure that uh, monetization is congruent with how the game is actually being played, right? How are you supposed to go to the monetization team and be like, hey, can we cut profits by 30%, please? Uh, trust me, this is important. It'll be paid off in the near future at some point, presumably by preventing a disaster. But you actually have no proof the disaster is going to happen. So how do you pitch that? How do you like how do you go and say we need to make less money? Yeah. Right. 
The how only, do you how do you run that up the chain? It seems only like it would be very the, hard to get done. The only way is a more empathetic approach to business, in my opinion. And I don't think that you can quantify that. I think it's very hard to articulate. But we've seen it happen time and time again with companies like you mentioned with Blizzard, that there are inflection points, that there is this thermocline. I think that was the word you used. Like they exist and there are examples that ex- that have that have occurred in the market, but to actually break it down into a science of how that happens, when it happens, what the process is, and how to avoid it, I don't think that anybody knows. That's why we see these big companies run into it. And I think that Marvel Snap is progressing down that road because this is a system that most of its player base, and I say most, but I don't actually know that, looks at this card acquisition system as something that is not in its ideal state and that is maybe progressing towards a better state, but that might not be the case. Because we always talk about when's the next series drop? When is this going to happen? When is it going to get cheaper? The bundles got worse. And it just, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure. It's complicated, but I think we had a good, we had a good discussion about it. And I would love to hear y'all's thoughts in the comments below, because at the end of the day, the only reason why we have these conversations, and I know they come off as cynical, is because we do think this is the best card game that exists. And I want that. I want it to keep existing. I want more people to engage with it because the barrier to entry to engage is only getting higher. And that's, that's, that's just, it's a disservice to the game because it's the great, it's the one of the greatest card games ever created. Anyway, Alex, I'm going to pivot completely. Um, I just want to ask you about the state of the Snapchat, um, the future and your niche, and what role does the, pod, what's the podcast play in your sort of, uh, what would the word be, your environment, your content creation, I would say. Um, the, the Snapchat, it's uh, first of all, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm in like inception. You're talking about my pod on your pod. It's <laughs> the weirdest thing, but I'll say that um, it's, Cozy and I have always had the same kind of uh, same principle when it comes to the Snapchat. And that is to just just have fun, talk about what we feel is uh, most relevant to the player base, and just make it like it's just two buddies having a conversation about a game they love. And that's just what it comes down to. Um, we the, the recording we record for like almost three hours, like two mm-hmm. and a half hours, and like we we cut like a lot of stuff oh, wow. out. We like it's it's a very long process. Like we we have very extensive note taking and stuff like that. But I think at the the end of the day, the final product does uh, does come out like strong for that effort that goes in. But what I will say at the end of the day is that um, there's something special to having a platform where you know you can speak openly, candidly about something that you love, but you have to be critical about at times. Like just like we were right here for the last ten minutes, um, I think that uh, it can be a very difficult thing to balance at times. But ultimately, I feel like we have a responsibility to voice. Uh, what the community needs to get out to the the masses, get out to the developer. We need to, we need to be that um, you know the the what's it called? What's the the megaphone? Is it a megaphone? The thing that you yell into? Sometimes we got to be the megaphone yes. to get mm-hmm. the the message across when uh, when things need to to be changed. Mm. It's uh it's funny that you talk about the Snapchat in in the description of like two guys having a conversation because I think one of the things that shines to me more than anything else, at least the first thing that jumps out when I when I listen to or watch the Snapchat is production value and is quality and is attention to detail. And I think that podcast shines above all others, actually above all others I've seen in in any other card game to be honest. Because I I mean I have three podcasts, three different card games. I'm aware of the podcast that exists and I try to emulate it myself. Like the production value of that podcast, the general flow and the obvious the obvious attention to detail is honestly bar none like it exists in a in my opinion in a niche in an by itself by itself yeah it is like very, he's, very he, what he's gonna do is he's gonna say oh that's cozy Cozy's the production value yeah, yeah. and that's horseshit he is. because <laughs> no like look behind you and then look behind me well you don't, you don't have a baron funko pop 
I don't have anything. I have a, a sheet. It's like, it's a like this sheet. is this is not just a cozy thing. You have like all these things that happen in your stream. You have like literally live memes that happen. Like you you press a button and a meme happens. And it's like, like this is not just a cozy thing. And he's going to be like, oh, it's just a cozy thing. Shut up. You get a lot of credit for this. Yeah. Thank you, buddy. That means a lot to me. Thank you. It means more than you can imagine. Yeah, you both are really. When we were really streaming to 10 people in the beta, you had like the applause button, you had all the light setups. You were far ahead. Yeah. Remain far ahead. It's easy for, I think it's really easy for a smaller niche like Marvel Snap, like any card game, to not evolve or elevate itself to that level of quality. And I really believe that you and Cozy set the bar. And it's it's really not close, to be honest. Like you're also trailblazing that bar as well, because everybody else is kind of just trying to catch up to you. That means a lot to both of us. Trust me. Yeah, it does. I need uh, I need some some lighting behind me. <laughs> I need like a, I need a, I need a little box where I just like put various bits from cosplays. Like I just hang my mustache like back here. I mean, Cam, Cam, I Cam got it. Cam got a microphone arm like nine months of this podcast. We're we're making progress. And I hit it all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's better than the desk. The desk was a tyrant. I'm a little disappointed that, that right? he didn't come as Cam Blob, though. I got to tell you, this is like this is not far off Cam. The only difference is I'd be wearing a different shirt. It'd be like much. It'd be like much. I like I I, I wore like a, like a very 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 tight like stringer type shirt for for the cosplay it was very uh chesty, uh, chesty. on uh on stream so alex i was gonna ask you about a potential limited or draft mode to marvel snap i think we may have talked about it last time may have not um but i'll leave it out because we've run a bit late i just want to ask you one final question is just do you enjoy playing marvel snap and you obviously you really <laughs> said you've done it here but what part of the game make what part of the game makes it fun after a year of play because last time i asked you this question i said after I don't know, two, three, six months of play. But now, since basically since global release, it's been longer in the year. What keeps it fun now after a year of gameplay? The thing that I love the most, absolutely love the most, is winning games that seem impossible. I love snapping into a game where everyone in my chat is begging me to retreat. Like, I love doubling down and be like, no, no. If there's a 2% chance we win this game, we're taking that 2%, you know what I mean? And that's where I find the fun. I love getting cards that are chronically underplayed and trying to make decks around them. I love the brewing. I love the brewing. It's one of the things I love best about uh, your content, Cam, actually, is the fact that you, you highlight the best brewers in the game, right? And I love brewing myself. And I, I get a lot of inspiration from, from your community. And ultimately, like for me, what really keeps me coming back to Marvel Snap is that it really just is what you said before. It's the best card game out there right now. And uh, I feel like I can play it a million times. I can play it on stream for 25 hours straight. Um, I think that bar none, it has some of the most like fun competitive moments. Um, if they can just get that spectator mode going and some more tournaments and stuff mm -hmm. like that going, I think that people will really appreciate those synchronized turns, those 50-50s that KM was lamenting over. Those are the moments, though. Yeah. Those are the moments, right? So, I mean... I, uh, this game is, it's special. It's really special. I think, uh, it's, it's not even just about the IP. I think the IP is strong. I think they actually learned the lessons. Like the development team learned the lessons from the games that came before it. And they crafted a whole new archetype of card game. Yeah. And for me, it's absolutely perfect. I remember my friend, he's a game designer. And I remember at one point we tried to analyze Marvel Snap and list all the things that it that it did correctly or that it fixed that were bad about card games. The list is almost infinite. I mean, they fixed 
most things. It's incredible. Like they learned so many lessons and execute it in such a perfect way. Like the, this card game feels like no other. And I, I'll tell you as well. And I'm sure KM can echo this to an extent, especially when it, like one thing that's criminally underrepresented and undervalued in this game is the competitive aspect. Marvel Snap is one of the best competitive card games, if not the best competitive card games that has ever existed. And that's because you have this dynamic, this shifting sort of stake in the game, this, this ability to wager and this, this sort of non- I don't know what, what's the word for it. You don't, you can take suboptimal lines. There are these 50 fifties. Like there is another aspect to the card game rather than just, you know, playing optimally, playing sort of playing on your curve or all. It just adds, there's so such more of a dynamic. And a lot of that comes with snapping, right? And snapping, I'm sure in, in and of itself is a science, but it is such a complex science that it is almost imperfect. And the layers that you get when you play this game competitively are incredible. And I really hope, I don't know, I'm not, I don't hope for esports or anything like that, but I do hope the competitive scene gets more attention. And that will come first with the spectator mode, because that is absolutely what we need. So, yeah. Anyway. Alex, I do want to thank you for coming on the podcast once again. Um, really appreciate having these conversations with you. Still one of the, I mean, last time it was one of the best episodes we've recorded, and I think we've trumped that this time. So, and your time is always appreciated. I hope that if we check in with you later in 2024, or maybe in 2025, that you will be back on that more healthy sleep schedule because we do need you. <laughs> we do need you yeah. to be coming around in 2026 and 2027. But um, yeah, I just want to give you a chance uh, to shout out where people can find you your content etc uh, what i'll ask is uh forget about me what i need everyone listening right now to do is i need you to leave a positive review for these guys <laughs> pod i need you guys to do it it makes a huge difference as someone who has a podcast i know what it means hit the like button leave a review that's what i want you to do dude he's like the <laughs> nicest guy of all time i want you guys to know what i just muted the mic for my girlfriend was knocking on the door because i told her it would be like an hour and it's been <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's never happened in the history of ever. <laughs> An hour. Yeah, guest episodes. Um, well, yeah, we appreciate that, Alex. And Alex is correct. That is the number one thing you can do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And it helps so, so, so much. You could also check out Alex on twitch.tv slash Alexander Kocha and on YouTube, I believe, under the same name, actually. Yep, that's right. You will see it on screen under him as well. There is a nice overlay with his ats. So there's a YouTube version of this at youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. Hit the subscribe while you're there. Twitter's are Brennan APG, Alexander Kocha, and KM Best MS. Cam is streaming in the evenings. evenings. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Evenings, most days. Uh, more likely than not, Wednesdays and Sundays are like I'm less likely to be on Wednesdays and Sundays. Shout out to hot and featured locations. Uh, and don't forget to check out the number one Marvel Snap podcast, The Snapchat with Alex and Cozy. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you next week.